Here are your hosts, Jason Smith and Cliff Dorfman. Hey, what's Hello. up? Welcome to a new episode of Stuck at Home with me, Cliff Dorfman, and uh, and me, Jason Smith, the loud one. A real quick before we get going, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, Cliff, we need to turn you up just a little bit because I've been getting up. I've been getting a little bit. Of, I've been up getting like this. Jason comes through loud and clear, and Cliff up like this or up like this. There, like there test, test. Yeah, it sounds okay. a lot better. We got yeah. it. Okay, good. Finally. Yeah. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn myself down just a, just a smidge because I come through real loud and you come through all soft spoken and sultry, and so I want to make sure we both come. Nice. For the for the audience out there and the and the millions and millions of fans all across the world, welcome to the Cliff oh, Dorfman, yeah. Jason Smith Hour. Jason the white Hour. Stuck at home. That's it. Okay, good. You beat me to it. I like it. Uh, yes, a new a new day has dawned, and you know what's interesting? We're going to talk about. Uh, Nancy is here. Good afternoon, Nancy. She has written. Good afternoon, guys. Listen, here's what I'm saying. A new day's dawn. We're going to talk about the Betty Broderick thing today, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we've we've got we've got big fights going on in the house right now about the Betty oh, Broderick. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll get to that after the after the interview. But yes, I'm ready to go. I I'm love ready to go. that. Okay, good. So so here's uh, the other thing though. You know what what's starting to happen now, uh, as we're going to see with our guest today, is that things are starting to like look toward coming back to shooting. Right. Right. Almost We're working on that. We're working on that internally ourselves because we, even though we're an animation studio and a podcast network, we, you know, we have to get people back in and we have to figure out how that works and how insurance works and all that stuff. So we're, we're getting there ourselves. Well, that's what they, you know, that's what everybody's kind of uh, scrambling and doing. And, and I, I've been reading a lot. Have you been seeing about these virtual writer rooms that they're, mm -hmm. you know, they've been doing on Zoom? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and first of all, let me start by saying I can't listen to a showrunner complain about oh I, I swear i read in one of these things the showrunner was like i i did the first zoom session it was like and then i just i literally went to bed and passed out for 16 hours my husband woke because he thought i was sick oh are you sick from running your million dollar show really like come on man like I, and this is not a gender thing this isn't anybody thing like you had to be on a zoom call where you got to play make-believe that you're getting paid at least and i will say bare minimum 35 to seventy thousand dollars an episode for your producer and writing fees. So kind of shut the F up and don't complain about the Zoom session. What do you think about that, Jason? I think that the Zoom sessions exhaust me. I think that... You sleep after 16 hours? You know, not because of the Zoom session, just because you like to sleep. Yeah, just because I'm a big hibernating bear. Like, if I had my way, I'd live up in Pasadena, I'd hibernate when the bears hibernate, and then we'd go for a swim together, and then we'd go back to bed. That's that's how my life would be. If I could live it, live it the way I truly, like, be my true and pure self, I'd scavenge in garbage cans, and sleep most of the day away. Dumpster dive and napping. That's, that's, that's Jason's agenda, just in case you want to get ahead. Now, here's what I'm saying, though. It's, it, it, it's the bigger thing. This is what we were talking about with our comedian guests and, and so on, which is how do you do the show you know, on a Zoom or on these virtual things. So the same question remains with these writers' rooms. How are you putting together these things uh, that you're going to be able to talk about a whole season in the arcs, like we were talking about the other uh, the other day, right? Right. With um, uh, Lee. No, not Lee. That's today. Hey, what, what's wrong? Lee's here. No, that's no, okay. What was it's it? Hard. Eli? Eli? Tell, who was our guest? It's Lee. Last episode. Oh, last episode. Yeah, from Nosferatu. She's amazing. Oh yeah, um, that was a uh, uh, Jesse. Or yeah. 
See, I, I can just turn the page, by the way. I have all my notes, like I have a whole notebook here, so each day I have a page for everybody. So all I have to do is turn back. It's okay, she's not hiring me anyway. I don't want to write it. Let's see. Oh, look at you, so nice, Jamie O'Brien. Jamie, not Who just knows? Jamie O'Brien. Jamie, we're close. We're close, but not even close. So but my point is that we're talking about the, the arc of the room and the arc of the character, and as you're starting to break things. So how do you maintain that connection while you're doing the Zoom thing? Uh, you know, what I saw today with this Mrs. Maisel thing, and we'll talk about it as we get closer to bringing her on, uh, you know, it's tremendous. The same thing they did with Mythic Quest. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, but that's one episode. Well, I mean, you know, and we'll get into it more when 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 we bring the in, but I watched uh, the, the thing that she did, and I was really impressed because this is really, there's a lot of new content. She, you know, there's an FYC portion of this, but that she got all these people to, she did some really cool stuff with this. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, especially for directing from home. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it's really cool getting the, you know, the dancers and, and all the pieces and, and we'll, we'll get into yeah, that. The a real later. voice of Shy Baldwin and everything that yeah. we see. But it's also interesting, you know, who would benefit. So we'll talk about all of that. But she did this remotely. Now, everybody was sent stuff. And I actually want to, because why I bring this up is, is I think it's, it's structurally for our show today. I think it's important that we, we talk about this. You know, so this video was shot in just three days. Okay. With over 60 people involved. They had 19 tap dancers, all people who actually appeared in season three opening dance number, okay? They were quarantining across seven states from New York to Iowa to California. Okay, they had I'm 20 musicians. The Sorry. It's pretty cool. No, no, jump in, man. Cut me off. So they had 20 musicians who all played on season three's original recordings, also yep. quarantining across seven states. They had the real vocalist, right? They had the um, uh, Ryan Farrell, who played the guy from uh, the Miami at night. You know, Miami yeah, yeah. at the dark, right? He's uh, really funny, he's too. He's like the Hefner guy. Yeah, he's yeah. good. I really like him. And then, like, they, they recreated his aesthetic in his place where he's at. So this is one episode. We'll talk more about it at length. But, you know, this is one episode. How are you going to break a whole season in a Zoom? Are you? And and what's the you know how does that look when you bring your actors back? I'm curious about that myself. I mean, I I'm sure you know we, we're we're doing it right now with some animated stuff that we're doing, and I'm curious to see how that's all working out. You know, um, mm -hmm. it's and I guess I you know I understand like the difference between being up close and personal with somebody and really being in the room and and doing these zooms, but I feel like we should be. Uh, you know, we, we, we've been, we've been training, we haven't been training it for it for 10 years, but we've been training it for it for the last three or four months. This is a lot more comfortable for me talking to you right now, uh, is not something I would have been very comfortable doing six months ago. I don't, I don't, I don't love this stuff. In fact, we, we built our entire podcasting network around being up close and personal. And, and, and when anybody asked, Hey, can we do a remote interview? It's like, that's really not what we do here. We really like to have everybody in the same room because hey, it feels warmer. Point in case. Uh, yeah. Remember how bitchy I get for the Cliff oh. Orphan show? Oh, I, I remember. In my studio. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was all about intimacy, right? Right. So you're losing then, the intimacy. You lose the intimacy. And, you know, I'm not saying that we're getting it back this way, but we're learning to reestablish a new kind of intimacy. But I don't, I don't understand how it works in writer's rooms and all that stuff. I think it'd be incredibly challenging. But at the same time, I'm 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 interested to learn how people are doing it because I guess it's it's going to still have to be done. We're still going to be in this position for a little bit. 
Yeah, and people still are going to want TV. You know, they want to yeah. watch stuff. Like, you know, I saw the Ozark showrunner was saying, like, he's not going to be responsible for bringing 150 people back under his care, you know, under his kind of control mm -hmm. uh, until he sees some stuff first. Then the, but then I heard something else interesting. The Feldman, who, who EPs, I guess, and created the uh, Christina Applegate one. Uh, um, uh, dead, dead, uh, dead, dead to like me? me? Dead, dead to, to me. me. Dead like me, yes, so dead like or somebody's me. actually dead. And like yeah, a, that's a Grim Reaper show. Yeah, yeah. yeah from Showtime, <laughs> from that blonde girl that was on Twenty Four. Yep. Um, all right, I see. So, what's going on up here, man? So, why was I saying that? Get the world will never know. That's why we have a show, so we can analyze what's going on up there every single day. Get me back on track, Jason. All right, you're just saying that. Um, you're saying that the EP was saying that for Ozarks was yeah, saying one Feldman. thing. Yeah, yeah, so Feldman was saying from, uh, uh, um, you know, dead to me, uh, that she absolutely is not going to address the quarantine if there's a season three. She doesn't want her actors in masks, and she's not going to address it at all. Like, she doesn't want them dealing with fears of COVID or whatever. I think there has to be a middle ground. You can't just not address it if right. we're going forward in the future. Right. Well, I, I think there's, there's a couple shows that I was reading. Well, like... The Wonder Woman movie, I know that the, th the third sequel's getting rewritten because of all the stuff going on right now. Um, and I know Brooklyn Nine-Nine, specifically around Black Lives Matter and, and priest brutality, is getting rewritten from scratch. So there are things like that. But I, you know, I haven't heard any, but I, I anticipate... Oh, wait, the new season of Nine-Nine is being completely uh, like torn down and rebuilt? Yep, 100%. Uh, Terry Crews talked about it yesterday. Do it. It's Gore and, uh, you know, Dan Gore and uh, the, the other guy, the genius. Oh, it's yeah. The creator what's his name is that is that daniels the greg daniels well, it's dan gore no 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 daniels oh and that's interesting because what greg daniels was saying was uh the guy who created a good place too is the same guy uh, michael uh he's genius um but it's sure michael sure is the other word sorry michael sure yeah dan gore and, and michael sure so they rebroke the whole season because of it they're going to start the whole season over because of all this stuff and right, making sure that they're properly addressing and getting on the right side of stuff. So there are people that are really paying attention to what's going on right now. And I think that's really important to, to address. I mean, if, if you're not going to address, you know, nobody really wants to address sitting at home and being fucking going crazy all day. I understand that. But the, with all the other stuff going around, you have to address what's going on. As part of yeah, you have to address it as part of it. If you don't want to put your actors in masks, you just have them take a mask, take it off as they walk into a scene, or yeah. you know what I mean. Like you don't need to even talk about COVID, but you have to address the issue. You know, like you don't have to delve. You well, have to address that we're in a pandemic. Yeah, yeah what are you gonna say? Well, I was just gonna say because I don't want it to be political, and it's kind of what's uh, happened is there's created a political rift around the pandemic. So like it's very partisan, and I think that has to do with the guy in charge like basically saying it's not important and him not wearing a mask. I think if you don't put your people in masks or don't address it a little bit, you you refrain from normalizing the situation, which we need to do to make sure people are safe. So I think it's part, I think there's a responsibility a really point. in doing it and making well, it yeah, like I, just what it is. Yes, yes. I, I think you nailed it, Jason. I think that that's exactly what it is. It's the same way we have a responsibility for Black Lives Matter and all these things in, in perpetuating goodness as we move forward and our responsibility to do such and raise other voices, so on and so forth. We have to do the same thing for COVID because it's a big, you know, people can't just blow it off. No, no, you can't. You got to make it. I mean, it's happening. It needs to feel like the norm, like people wearing backpacks or, or eyeglasses or whatever. It's just a thing that right. people have. It's part of the deal, which is. You know, not to get back, but I, I do want to kind of get back towards our guest because she's going to bring her on a couple, in a minute or so. But that's what's kind of nice about period stuff, right? Like, Miss Maisel. Hey, you just stuck there. You, you, you don't have to worry so much about this it. part of it because you, you don't have to worry about people in masks. It's not the normal. It's not the normal for that era. 
So that's great. I'm going to watch a lot of period yeah. stuff, right? Yep, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, listen, and also, you know, what are they, 1960 in, in Maisel? I mean, I, I love that show. Every, I mean, that's like, I, I, I talk about <laughs> That being said, the, the ability to be there, even if something bad happened in the 60s, which a lot of bad stuff happened, you just gloss over it because, you're, you know, you don't have to deal with it at that moment. In yeah. these times, shows like this, the contemporary shows, you know, listen, if you're doing Ozarks, I really don't know if you have to deal with it as much, if, right. but you have a casino. So right. you have to deal with how people are acting in the casino. Plus, you literally have a place that's like a hotbed for coronavirus and some of those pool parties. Like that was the big the big first report of anything was the, the, the giant pool parties that were going on down there with like infecting everybody. Like it's a place that's yeah, a, Missouri. Yeah. Well, those are specifically the, like one of the first big um, like kind of breakouts like on the news was one that was just like the minute they opened up anything. Yeah, it was a big pool. Yeah, big pool thing. Uh, you see, uh, so yeah, okay, so yeah, you definitely, well, I guess that gives Ozark a slide for having to address it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, no, we don't. Yeah. We didn't care about COVID when it started. We didn't care about we it before. About it now, yeah. <laughs> we're not no, you know, we're working way. on um, stuff with the, the dumb people town and the Sklars and all, you know, hopefully trying to get that into being an animated thing. And, you know, that's all based in Florida. I'm sure there's going to have to be some uh, updates to how we uh, approach some of the stuff down there. <laughs> Oh, 100%. And I think it's interesting, like, you know, having these uh, these Zoom panels with these showrunners and hearing what they're going through and how we're going to move forward. And then I'm really excited. I guess, uh, is Lee here? Can we? Yeah, she's here. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, so let's bring Lee on because I'm excited to talk to her about, you know, the process and, and, and how she went through this and everything. So let's bring her on. So ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is the marvelous... Lee Silverman. She is the director Broadway, Off-Broadway. She recently, just now, we were just talking about it, this marvelous music of Maisel. And it is on YouTube, and it's on Amazon Prime, right? Yep, and it's in the link to, um, if you're looking at this on Facebook or YouTube, it's in the link, uh, there's a link to it there, along with the handles. And I'll put it and up. And by on, the way, uh, Lee is uh, Tony nominated for the play Violet for Best Director. I mean, this is a stellar individual we're just about to talk to. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee Silverman. Yeah. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for that amazing intro. My God. Thank you. Thank you for all the amazing work. We appreciate it. Sure. But first of all, congratulations. The video is absolutely stupendous. It's. I, I want to talk to you all about it, but congrats. It's oh, fantastic. Thanks. It was definitely um, the weirdest thing that happened during quarantine. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, I want to get it. Well, let me ask you the first question, which is how did this come to you? So um, there's some uh, an executive who works at Amazon who I actually know Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino because they were producers on the musical Violet that you mentioned. Um, and mm -hmm. they were um, so I've, I've spent a little time around the Maisel set and am friends with them. And um, but this actually didn't come from them. It originally came from someone at Amazon who called me and said, we're looking to do a for your consideration video. We're going to have a component of it that relates to music and dancing. We feel like it should be a theater director. And we thought, because you know Amy, maybe you'd want to be involved. So I said, absolutely, sign me up. What is it? They said, we're not really sure. And that's it. And that sort of began the process. Amy and Dan wanted to make something that was, um, that captured 
everything that felt fun and amazing about the show and yet add some new footage and highlight um, both the incredible music and also um, feature Darius DeHaas, who's the voice of Shy Baldwin. So that, and that was a mandate going in. It was, and to really emphasize that. this incredible music um, that uh, that Curtis and Tom wrote, and to 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 keep that right. kind of front and center, and so. Uh, they were like, well, what's possible? Because the only thing we know is that we don't want it to look like self-capture footage and we don't want it to look like people calling in, you know, from their bathrooms. So um, <laughs> that was both of those things. Yeah. Is that well, by Eileen? Like, oh, my God, let's let's try. So, is fantastic. It, which I have was, to say. So so um, it was such a strange process because everybody, I mean, really the way that we did it was we did some beta tests at first to see, okay, what kind of footage would we get from musicians? What kind of footage would we get from the dancers? What kind of footage could we ask for from the singers? And then how do we interrupt for a second? Yes, please. Because as you said something there, you're like, what kind of footage can we get? Are you sending them phones? How is this happening? What's going on with this? With every single person except for Ryan Farrell who plays um Bry Adler everybody did the capture on their own devices um in some cases we sent white backdrops um to hang behind them so that they could have a neutral backdrop but in every other case people were capturing it on their own devices and it was madness um also people are all over they have all different kinds of wi-fi capabilities um so it was really um it was really wild and a big Part of why we didn't send cameras to everybody was um, it, because we were shooting really at the at the peak of the pandemic here in New York. Getting oh, you didn't even want the fingers on it, and getting I getting get things to people was just very very difficult. Um, so really, the only camera that was um, a professional camera was the camera that was in Ryan's apartment um, in Brooklyn, and yeah, they, they built a set in his apartment, right? Or at least that well, back wall, right? It's yeah, that, I don't want to so, say built a set. It's the wall, right? It's unbelievable. Right. So he took it, all the really pictures of inside oh, his amazing. apartment and, you know, he showed us his bathroom. He showed us his front entry. He showed us all these places and he had this one blue wall. And so we said, that's, that's right. it. That's the wall we want to shoot <laughs> in front of. And then, um, the props person and I did a little FaceTiming. I picked out a bunch of furniture and possible props that we wanted to use. It all got delivered to his apartment. He and his um, wife left the apartment. They, they loaded the stuff in and over zoom, I basically set designed the apartment with um, the producer, Matt Shapiro. And we just sat there and watched them do it. And, um, and, you know, we tried a bar, we moved the bar out, we tried another chair, we moved the chair out, we brought the bar oh, cart. You tried in. a few different of those bar carts or uh, you actually we tried a, a standing bar? We tried a standing bar. Uh, it didn't work. Too, yeah, too big. It looked sort of like a coffin. It seemed like it was sending the wrong message. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have no negativity in this video, by the way. So wait, I want to hit on something that you uh, just said. Here's the thing. You, the, you're getting everybody's footage. So this is all different qualities. All yep. different video uh, formats, right? Yeah. Yep. Now you're tasked with putting this together. Now tell me something. Does starting like your chops at you know with Joe Pap, you know at the at the public theater, and then doing all this off Broadway, and then doing Broadway, and so going from off Broadway where it's much more sparse, and then going to Broadway where you have a lot more accoutrements, let's say. Uh, 
the continuity that you had to work. This video looks like it was shot with one camera, with a color palette in mind across the board, and it was not done remotely. So how did you deal with this continuity stuff? I mean, I have to say it is the extraordinary talent of the editors and the VFX people at Maisel. They killed it. And it was, wow. you know, once we came up with the idea that we were going to be going in and out of the TV, then we could take the footage of Darius, of the singers, and we could treat it so it all looked the same. And when it was in black and white, it has a sort of grainy filmic quality that we were able to then like take them out of their boxes and make it seem like they're all in one place. And then when it's um, when it's colorized in the in, in different parts of the video, there's an overlay. And what the overlay helps wow. us do is hide the imperfections in laying all of these different images together. And it is truly like a masterful work of 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 many many different departments Art. coming together. It and really I think it, it's, it's astounding. And I think, you know, another sort of trick was we were trying to figure out how to deal with the musicians and, um, and, and how to, you know, it just felt like every time we looked at them with the boxes, it just all felt like the same kind of quarantine footage that we're all so sick of now. And, right. and so we sort of came, I was just like, what if we put them in a film strip? You know, and then the editors and again, the VFX, like it was just like they took all of those boxes from everybody's iPhones and they put it inside of this moving film strip that goes across um, at one point. And it's like it looks like we had always intended it to be that way. But again, it's just sort of a trick to how to deal with the footage. And it's just treated so beautifully. It really is. And it was also I would also I find very interesting is that this is not a thing where you sat on Zoom and planned this out per se. I'm not saying you planned out a lot of it, but not this stuff, which is very important. It was like we have to fly by the seat of our pants and yeah. work it out. Right. Right. And we did, you know, we basically had a few beta tests with the dancers and the musicians and the, and then we were able to send hey, like second, prototypes. One second. Sure. Jason, Jason popped up. Do we have a, Oh, nothing. I was just going to, I'm, I just want to let you guys know. I want you guys to keep talking about what you're talking about. I'm just going to show some of this footage while you guys talk about it. Um, but don't, oh, you don't have to address Please. it. I just wanted to run in the background. Okay. Yes, great. great. That's great. Let whoever's watching now uh, get, get to see that. And our listeners who hear this on the audio, We'll have everything posted by the uh, podcast stuff so you can look at it. So oh, yeah, we were saying, so the, the idea. So basically have, we came up with some meetings about it. We did. And then we came up with um, Marguerite, who's the choreographer, her um, two uh, incredible associates made us beta tests, essentially mm -hmm. proof of concept of what we were going to do. And then those were sent to all the other dancers as examples. And we did the same with a few musicians. And then those examples were sent as prototypes so that all the musicians oh. knew what to do in terms of what close-ups, what, so this is the film strip that I was just talking about earlier. Yeah, this is um, amazing. Yeah, it's, this film strip is coming across the screen. It almost looks like the, uh, Kodak, you know, like film show exactly. used to get at the photomat, and uh, it's black and white, and it's rolling, you know, uh, horizontally. That's yeah. horizontally, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so um, like so basically, we, we had sort of set up kind of proof of concept with a few musicians and a few dancers. And then that's what got sent to everybody else so that we knew, mm -hmm. okay, we want a wide shot. We want a close up. We want a close up on your feet. We want the frame to look exactly like, you know, this we could we illustrated it. And then so that everybody who was doing their self capture was able to follow essentially the same roadmap. I mean, that is what, I mean, because really what you're sending them in essence is an EDL, right? Right. Right. With the Saturday's decision list being like, this is every shot we need from you. 
Yes. Right. So this is like, this is an example of the overlay that I was talking about that helps it look like they're all together. Um, and it's we're seeing it, the original footage from the show. I'm just telling our audio. Yes, we're seeing please. the original footage from the show and it's cut into very masterfully, I have to say, with color as well into then boom, we go into the actual uh, person. What, tell me his name again. Who's, who's Oh, this is Ryan Farrell. Yes. And oh, this is a Ryan Farrell, the other one. Oh, um, oh, Darius DeHaas. Yeah, Darius DeHaas, who's actually yeah. the real voice of Shy Baldwin singing. Right. So now you were saying, now we're on Ryan in the uh, penthouse. Yes. So this is um, actually Ryan's uh, apartment in Cobble Hill. Um, I, I will say that the amazing thing about um, Ryan doing this is that we then took over his apartment. He had to uh, mic himself because n no one could get near him. He had to pour his own drink into the cup. He had to be his own continuity master. Um, I was directing him over the telephone. He couldn't see me. Really? Um, and he just had to slate himself. He would clap and then do the scene and then clap again and do the scene again. He would refill his drink. He would pick up the phone, which was just by his foot out of frame. You can't see it. And then, um, and then he would listen to me. I would give him some direction. He'd put the phone back down we do it again. Um, I mean, it was, he, uh, both he and Katie were, um, they were their own gaffers. They did, they fit, they would adjust the lighting. They changed the clock on the wall. Um, you know, so we were just, every time we did each of these little, little interstitials and they're, they're not long, but, but because the two of them were in charge of everything, um, uh, in that setup, they, um, they, they just had to have more skills, I think, than they, like all of us in this time, yeah. right? It's just like, you just all of a sudden have to know how to do this. Yeah, it's like you get, basically you set up all your keys, like every key in your department that you need, and they put together a blueprint of here's what you need to do, and then each actor on their own, or unless you're quarantined with someone, is now having to be the actor and your own key and the director exactly. while you're directing and the keys already set up the blueprint. Exactly. I mean, it was really wild. And I would say, you yeah. know, for the dancers, um, I was on, I sort of helped set up again, those kind of prototypes for what we were looking for. And then, and then everyone did it kind of on their own. The singers, I was um, like with Darius, I would be on the phone with him, but I'm over zoom with him and he's being captured by a different device. So he would put on the timer on his phone, run around to the front, capture himself for 10 seconds, run back, take the phone off the thing and hold it up to the zoom to show me the frame. So again, it's like, you know, it's just to make sure that I'm getting the shot that I want. And yet he's in charge of the camera. So it's the weirdest kind of directing ever because this is it's, what I'm saying. It's so, so like it's disconnected, but did you find you had to, because this seems so in sync and connected. Did you find somehow through this technology, a connectivity to all your actors and all your dancers and musicians? Yes. And I do feel like they required a huge amount of trust. They did not know what this was going to look like or what we were doing or how we were going to make it seem. They're all alone, um, you know, recording themselves. They, they don't know their, you know, what, what exactly the overall um, idea is. We're not totally sure how it's all going to look and they feel quite responsible. They have to, you know, put on their, um, their costumes, do their own makeup. I, you know, we, the, um, Donna, the costume designer would that. zoom in and take a look at them, make sure that they looked okay, ask them to do their hair. You know, it, it was a very, it's, wow. it's a lot of responsibility for everybody who is involved. And, you know, I, and, and I felt like I was on the, on the other end, try just trying to talk them through it and, um, and to try and get, you know, the picture that I had in my head to get the footage that we were gonna need to be able to execute this. 
And so everybody obviously is thrilled with the outcome. I hope so. I mean, it's oh, so on. wild. I not be? It's, it's really, I mean, I have to say it's, um, it feels like it, it just in this time, it has felt like, um, yeah. such an incredible opportunity to be able to put content like this out that first of all, celebrates Darius de Haas and his amazing voice and his incredible performance. Oh, it's really a love letter to him. Um, yeah. so I'm very, also, I'm very you know proud of it. what I thought was cool, um, is the idea that, well, first of all, I love what they wrote. I'm going to paraphrase a little, but it says it in the, uh, a little uh, packet I got and uh, it was for so the dance uh, ballet dancers can dance, so the music creatives can create music, and so everyone can have proper uh, AIDS care and HIV yeah. care. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm paraphrasing, but that so this whole thing is also benefiting groups, yeah. correct? Yes, it is. It is. And it's very important. And, you know, obviously everyone wanted to, um, again, we were shooting this at the height of the pandemic and it really felt like being able to use people's time, creativity, nervous energy, fear, adrenaline, everything that was happening and put it towards, um, towards charity in this moment was really important. Yeah. I want to read the groups. I don't, I, I had, did not memorize them. I don't, so, and I'm not going to make you do it, but I, I know. Okay, so it's Broadway Cares slash Equity Fights AIDS. It's Music Cares and Swans for Relief. Right. Yeah, right. which is, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, that organization is very important to Amy, who um, is very involved in the dance world. And, um, you know, her show Bunheads, um, which also featured the choreography of Marguerite. And that, she, that world is also very important to her as well as, you know, Broadway. And so she's very, she's very connected to those organizations. Well, obviously, I mean, first of all, how cool the the whole Sherman Palladino uh, couple over there. I mean, those guys got to be great. Right? They're the best. Oh my God, the best. they're the best. Yeah. I mean, but you have to look at it because, and tell me, is Amy someone who's now seen the success, I guess, from Gilmore Girls and now, you know, Maisel? You know, you in on Broadway, you're one of the few to this day women directors who's directed multiple plays on Broadway. There aren't that many even now. When you started, there were less, if that's It's consumed. true. In 2006, if you can believe it, I was only the seventh woman to direct a play on Broadway in 2006. I mean, I believe it because I'm a white male. So, yeah, <laughs> I, we've been trying to keep you out for a while. Exactly. You're doing a really <laughs> good job. <laughs> yeah, like really, like how awful is this? So like, yeah. but no, it, it gets, you know, brought to my attention. I'm like, okay, well, I have to talk about this. So you have someone like Amy who really, you know, if there's anyone she can go get for this, and yet she finds someone who's one of the most has prowess on Broadway and happens to be a female. And, you know, here, why don't we do this together? Uh, is this something, have you guys had a relationship previous to this? Um, well, because she was a producer on Violet, she was very much a part of the, um, the process um, during the time that we were um, bringing that show to Broadway. And, and she was really um, quite instrumental in making it happen. And um, yeah, I mean, I think she's been, I mean, she's certainly a role model for so many women who are trying to figure out how to get the work done. And, um, you know, it's, well, how it's, do you do that? Let me ask you, like if a woman's out there right now or a, a girl, let's say who want, you know, I, I, my next door neighbor, she's a, uh, you know, my kid's age, right? she's in the theater department at like Calabasas, you know, yes. so she wants to go out there and she's got more opportunities than other people, let's say. So let's even not use her and use someone else. What, what do you say to them? How do they go about doing something you've done that seems really impossible, I have to say? 
Um, that, yeah, uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, you kind of just have to be relentless and determined and ambitious. And I really like to reappropriate that word in a positive way, because I think women are accused a lot of being ambitious in a negative way. And I actually think what ambition is, is, you know, like having that North Star and just um, knowing it in your heart and, um, and not, not moving away from it. It's, it's not about putting other people down. Further. I'm going to go a step further and say that it's it's about there's no gender to it whatsoever. Ambition should just be okay with everybody. If you want to be yeah. ambitious, be ambitious. Because when you say it about a guy, oh, he's ambitious. He's great. Right. He's going to get somewhere. It's like a woman. Ah, oh, she's too ambitious. Exactly. You know, again, this is exactly logical. So I'm all warfare. about it. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. And I feel like, you know, there's um, Jill Soloway has this amazing quote where she says, um, men are hired for their potential and um, mm-hmm. and women are hired for their experience. And the thing is, is that, um, you know, the thing about being a, a young woman, a girl, someone who has a dream about doing it is that so much of it is just not letting anybody talk you out of it, not talking yourself out of it. And holding true to that belief that there's a thing ahead that you're working towards, and it's not a level playing field. Um, no. It's. Uh, do, you, it's do, you, do you find you went to Carnegie Mellon, right? And I then did, you yeah. went to New York, and you started working. How so? So you had to get all the credentials, whereas someone else maybe not so much. But do you feel like it's still just as important get those credentials if you're going to go out there, especially as a woman. Still, is that really as sad as it is? Um, I think that. People, I mean, everybody has a different path. No two directors have the same path. And I was lucky enough and privileged enough to be in a situation that I, um, I could go to Carnegie Mellon and I do, I think it's necessary for everybody. Absolutely not. It was necessary for me. And, um, I feel the best theater schools in the country. I mean, it is. And it's one of the only theater programs that, um, has an undergraduate degree in directing. And I had known that I had wanted to be a director and it was really one of the only places, um, where I could get an undergrad, um, degree in that. So I was really happy to have gone there. And, you know, I think the thing about the arts is that, you know, it's not fair. It doesn't make any sense. There's no logic to it. It's not like being a doctor where you go for seven years and then you're a doctor. It's like, you know, it's like you're just hoping that like if you work your ass off and and you're lucky um and you don't give up um that like lightning strikes and there you are with the goods well, you know kind of what miss mazel is too and and listen what was, i just ask you this question two questions yeah. about the old days the first one is what was it like working at the public theater i mean that place is hallowed ground yes it is right. i um i the public theater is um I've done eight shows there. Um, I was slated to do a big musical there this fall. I'm very sad that I don't think it will happen in the fall, but it will happen at Sorry some point. It's, um, you know, theater is um, is really crushed right now and eviscerated. What are, and what are we looking at in the future? What, what have you been hearing, especially in Broadway? What, what's going on? I mean, I think we're going to be lucky if we're back before fall of 21, 18 months. <sighs> 18 months. That's a no. very long time of unemployment. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, a very, I mean, the way that that will hit our industry, people who will, it will eliminate a generation of theater makers, um, crew, um, stagehands, designers. I mean, we're talking about people who won't be able to wait. I mean, who can wait that long? We've already been out of work since March. Um, right. 
And right, so what you know, does this do? Does Broadway stay afloat? You know, I mean, I, I can't imagine theater going anywhere, but the economics of theater, how does that stay afloat in the next 18 months? And have you even thought about with other directors and producers on, because Broadway's a very clicky crew, aren't you? It sure is. That's right. Yeah. Right? So with, with, with all you guys on Broadway, have you guys had little, you know, conversation, not little, I don't know, you know, sidebar conversations. Like, how are we going to do this? Can we get back any quicker? What What's the uh, There's so much conversation happening right now. Unfortunately, very little of it involves me. Um, I do feel like, uh, you know, the whole industry is undergoing a real transformation, um, uh, both because of the kind of re-centering of, I think, Broadway's priorities, which has always been white, male, and driven by money. And I think that Broadway has had this fantasy of itself as being a progressive place. And I think part of what this moment of incredible social uprising has revealed to Broadway is that it's actually a place that is um, uh, not a place of, that, that, that in fact, it's a fantasy that theater is a progressive place. It is just the same, it's dominated by the same people that dominate everything. And that mm-hmm. if it really wants to be a place of, um, uh, that has the core values of inclusion mm-hmm. and radical inclusion that it says that it does, then, um, then it has to be a place that people of color and black people um, can uh, tell the stories and also own the theaters and produce the shows and be backstage and um, that it's they are the they have to be the able to um, be as much in charge and have the same creative decision making as um, the white counterparts and that is um, a really um, important moment that is happening right now a big reckoning as I'm sure is happening everywhere and it is um, it's crucial that Broadway take this time to uh, reevaluate and rebuild um, because really what else is anybody doing and if we're not going to rebuild Very a true. better house then why are we coming back at all Listen, I, I couldn't agree more with you. So before I let you go I just want to ask you one, quite, one more yes. question and this is just a personal thing. Did you get to work personally with Neil Butte? Yes, yes, I directed two of his How was plays. How it was, was fine, you know. It. He was it. he was very busy during the times that we were working together. So we weren't. Um, uh, uh, he wasn't around super much, but I directed a play of his with uh, Tommy Sadowski and Amanda uh, Seyfried, who then right? fell in love and got married and had ch- children, and it's all from like that, perfect from, from that, that play. play. That's right. That's right. I was it really was insulted they didn't name their daughter after me. Um, and uh, right? and then I worked on a name? play that doing? I know. Right. Um, he wrote a play that I directed um, that was for Judith Light, and um, oh. she did a solo show. Uh, and it was, um, it was, I mean, working with her was just absolutely extraordinary. Incredible. Well, so now this is the marvelous music of Miss Maisel, right? Or the marvelous yes. music of Miss Maisel. Or just, is it, is it of Maisel? Which one is it? Jason? <laughs> it's the marvelous music of Maisel. See, put it up there. Yes. Me. Yes. Okay. We can get it on YouTube. You can get it on Amazon, right? And what's the social media on it? We have hashtags, don't we? I think we have good hashtags. I'm sure there must be. No, 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 we do. I know we do. I'm going to tell you what they are. Ready? Our, ha- our social handles for it are hashtag Mrs. Maisel, and then on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, it's at Maisel TV. See, I got it. I got it all. I love you this video. It. Oh, I thank you. Can I give you enough congratulations? I can't wait to see what you do next. And thank you so much for being here. Jason, do you have anything? No, you answered my questions. I, I wanted to know what was <laughs> the theater really bad because it's making me sad that it's not around. Um, me both. Yeah. Me too. But we really are grateful to have you here. And it was, 
<laughs> I'm Very so impressed so. by this thing. It really inspires me, honestly, um, to like the scope uh, of it is make huge. me think about how we can coordinate more videos and create more content from home. You know, if you can do something like that, you know, I can make more TikTok videos or something. <laughs> <laughs> I have much smaller scale, but I'm really impressed by the abilities and the 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 like. We were just looking at it. I couldn't get. I can't get me and my wife to coordinate. Um, cooking dinner in the kitchen at the same time. And you've got all those people dancing uh, all separate. Oh, yeah. And it's just amazing. Oh, the color palettes too. I know I've said it before, but it's like how beautiful and like art deco and alien. It's so gorgeous. And the blues and the pastels, it was really just beautiful. It's, um, it's the wizards, the wizards over at, at Maisel, they are just the best. And they, you know, it's like, I would say, what if we tried it like this? And then they'd come up with, you know, four different versions of, you know, what musicians in a film strip would look like. And I was like, it's gonna, that that's gonna sell it. It's gonna do it. It's so great. Well, congratulations again. And thanks, you guys. Great talking to you. The marvelous music of Maisel. Great talking to you too, Lee. Thank you, Silverman. Thanks. See, and this is what I'm talking about, Jason. It's like 18 months for Broadway to go back. Insane. I mean, you know, you hear they depend on an audience. It's a gut punch, but yeah, I was as you guys were talking, I was trying to think of like, is there a way? And it's like. I, you know, I don't know how pornography theaters work, but I imagine them all being like, <laughs> okay. There aren't theaters in the in the 70s me, and the deuce. Yeah, well, I know. Here's what I was thinking. I was like, well, what there's if porn theaters are there? I know there's not, but, you know, I know that, they, that there's booths, <laughs> and I know that there's theaters, and I think those are separate things. But what if you could have, like, these individual little porn booths so you could watch theater, but you're in your own little thing. You can just, like, read it. You can read it. You can take an old porn theater that has the booths and then... No, it doesn't work. Okay. You're not talking about a porn theater. You're talking about a peep show. Yes. Well, I guess okay. <laughs> right. Right. So you're saying you're saying buy a peep show place that yeah. has all the booths built in, sanitize all the booths, and that's how people can watch movies. Actually, yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah, I was at. I, there was a theater in Florida that was not a peep show booth. It was like a movie theater that served food, but they put you all in your individual little spaces. Like you had your own little space. It was just you and your family or your if you're a couple just you and your girlfriend boyfriend whatever and then that's how you sat and then you could watch the movie you know but and what i was thinking about that is like but it, it, it eventually turns everything into screen viewing right you're still looking through glass you're still not connected all the way even if it's a live show if you do it outside and you you do theater outside in a in a in a, in a drive-in theater you're still watching it kind of through your windshield which to me for some reason just that barrier of clear you know silica he makes it feel right. different to me I don't know why. It just doesn't feel like the same thing. Looking it out of a car window, looking at it with your own eyes through air, for some reason, just feels like a different kind of connection. Well, also, first of all, you know, when, when you're shooting something, right, and you're lining up and you're framing things, mm-hmm. you're not counting on you, the viewer, looking through another lens yep. to see what I had already shot. Right. I want you to see what I shot. I don't really want you to see what I shot through the lens or else I have to, I have to account for that. Right. In my shot list and in my focus pulls. Right. So the same would be true for theater, right? So you're, you're actually creating a lens for them to perceive it through. But at the same yes. time, you know, I mean, if Gi- Giuliani hadn't cleaned up New York, maybe we could be doing theater in the peep shows right now. Listen, if Giuliani hadn't cleaned up New York, there was a place right next to uh, Show World when I was like 15. You used to go in there. It was like live sex. You walk in and there was like a bed. It was like an, and it was like almost like an amphitheater. Like, <laughs> like in a round? It was real. Like, yeah, like, like, it was like round? a man and a woman fucking, yeah. It was like, yeah, in the round. <laughs> the Westbury Music Fair. Well, I was talking about a 
I was talking about her butt. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Just kidding. Um, sorry, bad joke. Can I get a? Can I get a? All right. So, first of all, though, I really like Lee, and I like I did too. that she told us. I mean, how many weeks they spent? Actors had to spend weeks in quarantine just to get together and the dancers. You yep. know, it was really cool though that they used all the same people that worked on the actual show. So we got to see the people who actually do the music. Right. And respect that also because you got these people that are, you know, having to be delayed to go back to work who they're giving a little bit of work to, even if it's just, a, you know, for the, the FYC. But that's really cool of them to, to think that way. 100%. I, I love it. So should we? And here's the thing, okay? I want to get into Betty Broderick. I really do. Um, I just wonder how they're going to go about doing this next season. Like, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about how this business is going to be so changed. Everyone's acting like everyone's just going to go back or something. Oh, we're talking about this. We're talking about that. This is beyond huge. Mm -hmm. I, I, so, all right. I, I don't want to digress. Should we talk about Dirty John? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Dirty John. Let's uh, talk about it. You go first, all right? Because I've been waiting. I watched it the moment it came out the other night. All right. So I put the name of the whole thing because it's got several colons in it. It's Dirty John Season 2, The Betty Broderick Story, colon. Episode 5, colon, Scream Therapy. That's the entire title of this segment. Um, so I um, – and Nancy's colons, dropping title of your Oh my God. Uh, okay, Nancy. Okay, here we go, Nancy. All right, so, here we go. so here's the deal. Um, I This is a show that I should be watching with my wife every week. I should be sitting down with her and we should be enjoying this together. The first three or four episodes, we did not do that because I was catching up. We were getting this all set up. So right. she sat last night and watched the first three. We're actually on episode five. Um, so skip four and we watched five today because she can catch up later and she said she would. And my daughter was there too and we're watching. So my daughter has seen zero episodes. This is the first one she's seen. My wife has seen the first three episodes, skip four and starting five. So in five, a lot of, four, a lot of stuff happens, but not there. I had to spend the entire show defending Betty. Defending. Oh, defending her. Well, I mean, she's a murderer. Well, and, but the murder hasn't happened yet. But my, my daughter's like, oh, it's her fault. She, why doesn't she just get over it? My wife's like, well, she's not very um, sympathetic. Oh, here. See, we'll, we'll let Stephanie say it in our world. So Stephanie says, I did not find Betty to be particularly sympathetic so far. I, I did, what'd she say? I did miss what? I, I, have I did miss number four. I don't know why I act like I don't. Um, she missed say? number four. So, right. spent okay. a lot of time, and, and, and I find Betty sympathetic from episode two on, I think, is where I really, two and three, I feel like I was really sympathetic towards her, but we got a, we got a little bit of an argument. There was a lot of well, why don't she take care of her kids and all the, you know, why'd she leave them there? Why is she going, keep going back to the house? Why does she keep swearing into the, the answering machine? So this right. whole episode is really just building her break. This is her breaking point episode. Like it, it's, it started yes. with putting the cake on the, on the suits and on the bed in the end of last episode when the divorce went through. And this episode is the episode uh, with the phone, the swearing phone calls and all the, the manipulation. And here's what I'll say. And I said this to my wife, and she kind of agrees. A man who wants to hurt a woman or wants to move things over, or especially some, and I think this is a man or woman, but a person who wants to, to get the, his, their way in a situation like this, especially when they've been married for somebody for a long time, knows exactly, exactly what they're doing by putting her voice on the answering machine. They know that's going to elicit a response. He wants her to yes. respond, right? 
by 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 writing these letters in the way that he writes them, he knows what he's going to get. He knows her. So he wants her to do all these things is what I think. I think he's manipulating her to do it. And I'm not saying that he, you know, he, uh, you know, that she reacted well. She reacted horribly and shouldn't have done all those things. But at the same time, how yeah. do you, when you've been manipulating and you're getting pushed in the way, um, all those things. And then, and, and then Nancy brings this piece up, like when he took the, the kids away at Easter. Uh -huh. Yeah, she says, I knew that Bess was going to yank Easter from her. I mean, you knew something was happening when she was pulling into the school. Otherwise, we wouldn't be watching it. Yeah. But it was bad. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and he's like, yeah, well, I changed my mind. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. You well, it's know, gaslighting, right? That's yeah. what they yeah. said in the last and few episodes. Point. You know, and again, I want to go back and, in, in, in you know, in, in previous episodes, I've empathized with not empathized in like a positive way, but I've tried to put myself in the shoes of the bad guy and how I've not been upfront in a relationship or, yeah, you know, and, and, and have treated women in a way that, you know, in relationships that, you know, I'm not proud of. In this one, I'm going to empathize with to be a little guy. bit. I know what it's like to be broken up with by somebody who knows how to manipulate you into getting what they want from you, but not giving you what you need from them. And that's exactly what she's doing. And, you know, the, I've, 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 that's what I she's doing, or that's what Christian Slater's that's doing what to Christian her? Christian Slater doing to her is like really putting yeah. her in a position where you're like, I just need an answer. And sometimes just swearing into a, you know, I, I have, you know, I haven't lived a million messages for somebody, but I've called somebody more times like than they needed to be called because it's like the answers they would give were vague or felt like I wasn't getting the closure I wanted. And it's hard sometimes when people do that knowingly trying to get under your skin while at the same time playing above, you know, kind of like playing God, like, like I'm above all this, but I'm. I'm down in it just subversively. Okay, so this is why I have a problem also with, like, when I hear people use, like, oh, my God, he's such a stalker. It's like, don't use that word loosely. Like, no. because when you see, and this was the episode to me where uh, I feel as if the creatives decided this is where we have to show Betty's psychotic break. Mm -hmm. You know, let's look at the instances that happened in this episode. She has two meetings with the court-mandated shrink, and she looks at the shrink and says, I'll kill him before I let that happen. Right. And she's like, you mean you'd harm him? She's like, people die all the time. I mean, that's not encouraging. So we see that. We see that she is, it, it's impulsive. It's compulsive. There is no way for her to stop it. Like, nope. I remember being in therapy, uh, you know, my whole life. But I remember one therapist, very good, very good shrink. But... She looks at me, she's like, girl, you're done. She's not talking to you. She doesn't want to, you know, why do you, like, you're going to drive by where she works? I'm like, it's kind of on the way home. She's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, it's not. I'm like, but I'm just driving by. She's like, and you know, like, wh how are you going to feel when you drive by? I go, horrible. How do you feel before you drive by? Awful. How do you feel after you drive by? Even worse. Yet you still do it. Oh, yeah, I can't stop. I'm yeah. definitely driving by. And that's the thing. So the, where you go from that level, and that's not great. You go to the, and by the way, it's not that she's there. The place is closed. I'm coming home three in the morning. Right. I'm just driving by like as an energy. Right. And that's not great. If you can't stop that, once you go over to that next ledge, you're done. Yep. That's where you're like, she, he's like, stop doing it. And the kid talking to her this episode, I felt was the most important scene that we've witnessed Right. We uh, want to be with you, Mom. Right. Well, him to say it and, and, and to kind of go, 
you know, because that's the first like honest person's like, listen, I know that he's a dick. He kind of didn't. He didn't say his dad was a dick exactly, directly. He's like, you can't care about what he's doing right now. We want to be there, but you're not letting us be there. You're, you right. know, and, and this is the one thing that Stephanie that and I agree with that my wife has said is, um, you know, he she he she refused the custody option. I agree with her. Like, I don't want the custody until I get this, and I kind of see. Uh, I kind of see why she's doing it. And at the same time, I also completely understand why my wife's like, no, this isn't acceptable. You know, can't use them as yeah. punishment. Um, I see why she's doing it. It's a very, uh, you know, it's the ploy that he would do. It's yeah. like his dirty ploy, you know, yeah. and she's trying to fight like him. But the problem with that is, and I agree with Steph completely, kids first doesn't yeah. matter no matter what. So, yeah. you know, you keep those kids for dear life. And yeah. it's like they said, keep the kids and then we get the financial. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. You and, can't you know, leave kids it, in a place where they're not being taken care of. It puts, it puts all the pressure on right. him. And he made that she, you know, she's not making the right decision in that stuff. But that, that call, you know, and just hearing me go like, listen, hey, you're hey, wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. A day dickhead or it's it, everything. It's like a, the whore. She won't even call uh, Linda her name. Yeah. But what is it? Nancy says, you know, the kid was put up to that call, phone call, right? Oh, you think so, Nancy? You think that uh, Mr. Broderick made him get on the on the well, phone and say that? about how he can hear somebody recording, you know, and I... I, I oh, that's right. We saw the tape in the... Sorry to interrupt. Drink, Nancy. We saw the tape in the uh, recording in the drawer. Go on, Jason. Yeah, so there is there there is that. And, you know, it was a it was a decent call. I don't think the kid meant it to be negative. I don't think the kid was aware of it. But, yeah, putting him up to the call because you've seen how she responds to it all. And, like, basically now they have something for the judge. It would make sense. Like, hey... Even the kids asked her to calm it down, and she couldn't do it. Now this wedding's going to happen, and blah, 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 blah. And that, I feel, was the most important scene, was that scene. Because it, it really is saying, like, Mom, just all you have to do is not do anything, and we get to be with you. Like, that would be what any parent would want. Nope. Nope, I cannot stop. And that's where we start to see, okay, now we're starting to see a person become unhinged. Well, to your point, and I wanted to uh, bring this up when you were talking, but I was trying not to interrupt you, um, where you talked about um, uh, the, the knowing, knowingly putting the new woman's, uh, Linda's voice on the answering machine. You're absolutely right, because otherwise the judge wouldn't have pointed that specifically out. And get the lady's voice off the answering machine already oh, yeah. with this. Oh. You know, because, so you're definitely right about that. Yeah, that judge, I mean, the judge is aware of it. But also he has kind of like got to do what the law says. But it felt like he he'd seen a lot of this kind of behavior before. You know, this isn't the first time some douchey dude has tried to manipulate their wife this way. Um, but uh, well, you're right. I thought that was interesting, too, because it showed this other side that everybody's not on this guy's side, even though he's, you know, the bar associations, uh, keynote speaker, et cetera. Yeah. It almost feels like and I mean, I'm sure this is a lot of artistic license. It almost feels like the girlfriend, the, the new wife isn't a hundred percent on his side when it comes to how he's dealing with her either, I, which I, is interesting. And I'm, I'm curious to see if something actually this storyline plays out where there's some, a, a little bit that comes to a head a little bit harder, you know, right now, I think, uh, yeah, right now it isn't, but I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I absolutely agree with you. And it goes back to what I thought when we saw their relationship in, was it three? Yeah. Three. It was three, right? Or was it four? Probably a little bit of both. I think it was sort of four. 
But what we really saw, and I, I had said, look, it looked like sexual harassment. So do you remember, and this was either three or four, when his, his secretary comes in at first and she says, people are talking about you and Linda and this and that. It was four. Thank you, Nancy. Nancy just posted it was four. So, uh, and she complains. And she's like, people are talking. Linda's over the office talking about it. It's just like unseemly. He's like, you're right. It is none of your business. Everything he does is sexual harassment. Telling oh, yeah. his secretary that she has no right to be uncomfortable by what she's witnessing is like huge loss. He might just pay her a million dollars right now. Right. Well, he does the same thing. I mean, this is a repetitive thing. This happens again at yes. the beginning of this episode, right? She, They're they, showing they, patterns. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I said I was wondering this is what we got wrong last time. <laughs> Wait, what did we get wrong last time? You're talking about the sexual harassment stuff, Nancy? Nancy's saying that this is what you guys got wrong. Okay, <laughs> what, you're talking about the sexual harassment stuff. Is that it, Nancy? Yeah. She'll tell us, right? She'll tell us. But the but the tape stuff with uh, you know, just today, this this episode that came out, it's like they're still sending all these tapes and this other person's like, I really don't want to transcribe this anymore. This is really it's awful. And in his answers, oh, Nancy, 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 Nancy finds Linda to be like, she's yeah, a trollop. She's in. She's, she's a homewrecker. Yeah, she's no. Yeah, this is where she's a blondie '80s homewrecker. She knows what she's doing. She knows Linda what she's cocaine. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, Mr. Soul, I'm sure it's the real. Like, did they change the names? Um, I'm sure that they're all the names are probably the same names. We probably. Oh, so Mr. Soul. Yeah. I mean, you know, no, listen, <laughs> here's the thing I always think. If you meet someone married, walk the other way. Because yeah. six out of 10 times, someone dies. <laughs> yeah. It it's, can't end well. It never yeah. ends. It's not going to end easy. Even if everything the goes right. The best ending is married. shit. Yeah. If you meet somebody that's married, the best thing that could happen is it's a big pain in the ass to get everything yeah, they separated. Break up their whole life. Yeah, and change this and change everybody's. That's the best thing that can happen. Yeah, the worst that's, is that's your dream good. come true. Yeah, dream come true is that you basically created a, a separated a family and they're gonna have a fight. And it might happen some with somebody else, but now you get to be involved in it, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know. Well, and here's the thing: I don't ever like to say it's a woman separating a family. The guy wants to do it, and he doesn't handle it properly. Right. Right. Then the woman says, I'm into this and not handling it properly with you. As opposed to being like, listen, I'm not going to sleep with you until you do all that stuff first. And then after all that's over and you're done, what's Nancy saying? No, she just, she says that, uh, she will see that she's right. That Linda's, it's so funny. Calculating. Saying, saying the word, the name Linda, it, my, my, my Cocaina. mom, we say, we call Hazel, but Linda we, Hazelberry. we call my mom is Linda. So every time I see this stuff, it's like, uh-uh, Nancy. Linda ain't no trial. Linda, my mom, she's fine. She she does she does only good things. She cooks well and she takes me she takes care of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything else you said you is so beautiful and awesome. Just uh, my mom, she's fine. You might want to look into that one. <laughs> Just look into that statement. Just isolate that one. So let's really though talk about the fact that the unhinging, I feel, was set in motion. Over these three episodes, but this over the four, but this one was where the rubber separated from the right. road. Right. The 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 the, the it, it's a weird. This whole series has been a little bit weird because it's it's really been a lot of buildup. It's like let's set the scene. This happened. That was the yeah. first episode and a half, and now we get the manipulation. This is interesting, and I kind of you know this is where I've been kind of doing it. 
Um, you know, and this is what Stephanie said. Right? At least, at least Stephanie and Nancy can they can disagree together. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, Stephanie says we established that the husband is a manipulative creep. Linda fell victim just like Betty did. Yeah, I agree with that. Linda fell victim just like Betty did. You know, and and now she's in it. And you said something, Jason. I don't think it's right. Uh, you you think that she's looking at it like I don't like the way you're handling it. And by the way, when you're dealing with someone this psychotic, at what point do you go? Let's push her further. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's send her a Christmas like some Christmas flowers and really rub it in that she's alone for the holidays. That's where you're really asking, like you're really really asking. It's like like someone pulls a gun and you're like, look at you, you puss. You're not gonna yeah. pull the trigger. What are you doing? Are you got a gun. That thing isn't even really a little loser. Look at you, dirty you're Harry. Pull it. Yeah. yeah, I dare you. Like that's really <laughs> what you're doing. Like you're amazing. And you see Linda's eyes. She's concerned. I mean, yeah. they, she comes into the house at will and cuts up their clothes. And oh, her walking with that hammer. Just oh, swinging God. it. How much fun was Amanda Pete having doing? Oh, I know. I was sitting there going, "This is this looks like the best day, like the most fun day to shoot." Fun day. <laughs> yeah, just beat the hell out of this set. But uh, really, she looks unhinged. She's not looking hot anymore. Like her looks are changing with her derangement. Yeah, her because her eyes are starting to pop out of her head like all the way. Yeah. It's crazy. She's doing a great job, Amanda Pete. I gotta say, she's killing she's it. She's like, getting nominated. Yeah, well, I mean, Amanda Pate's killing it, being, uh, and 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 uh, Chris, Christian Slater is being so awful that I hate him. Like I hate his dumb face right now, and I'll, I'll like him again eventually. But right now, so I hate great. his stupid face. I hate him so much. Yeah, see, and that's why he's amazing. That's why Slater is always a star. <laughs> that guy, I I don't know if he's a human, but that guy is a star. Uh, well, I think Heather's on. Oh yeah, that's this is true. What? What is she oh, Like, Nancy, Nancy's got, Nancy's holding ground. Oh, yeah. Linda held up the nighty and said, I would have really looked good in this. Yeah, but at this point, Nancy, Linda's like Stockholm Syndrome. She's already been abused. Now she's just uh, relating to her captor. She's in love <laughs> right. with her captor. Well, this, guy's, uh, this guy's a psychotic, too. They're both psychotic. It's no wonder they found each other. It's just a shame he thought he could get away clean, and yeah. he ruined an innocent person's life, too. I mean, yeah. what he did, honestly, they both... I don't know what happens to Betty, but it's like, no one deserves to die. But they were both looking for something really bad to happen. They were yeah. playing with fire. Yeah, I agree. Well. Are we done? We're done. So we're going to have to continue this later. But I, I enjoyed this uh, conversation a lot, and we got to get into this a little bit. Um, Me too. But it is time. Just <laughs> say yeah. what? Nancy Leslie says. I'm going to let Nancy have the last word because she. We, I feel like she's got getting up on a little bit. But we no, we will agree to disagree. And when I'm right, we will all have a drink. That's a deal. You tell me, Nancy, what what the drink is, and if you're right, we'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll send everybody out the the drink of. Uh, Amen. All right. Well, we have to get all going. Right, everybody, stay safe, stay sane, stay strong. Uh, Jason Smith, Cliff Dorfman, everybody out there, I love you. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. A podcast network.